Welcome to Tampa Tantrum The Lost Files. Back in the summer of 2012, myself, Stephen Layton, and Colin Harmon hosted a group of 12 coffee luminaries to come present on a coffee topic of their choice at the SCAE World of Coffee event in Vienna. This was not the first time we'd put on such an event, but it was the first time we didn't have control of the AV crew for the production. For the previous two events, we collated sets of videos that can be viewed at tampatantrum.com. But in Vienna, something went horribly wrong, and the video quality we had just wasn't good enough. Although something gets lost without the visuals, I decided that instead of them being lost forever, that I would make them available in audio format. This is the third in the series, and a really interesting talk, and I know that one people were desperate to see as a video. So please give it up for Mr. Anthony Bender. Sorry to ruin that wonderful intro. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for being here today, and thanks for having me, the Tiber Tantrum, and uh, especially just being in Vienna is a big, great experience for me. Um, I apologize in advance for having notes. I rewrote a lot of what I was going to say today after listening to Matt Perger last night, and uh, I feel it'd be a bit of a disservice to wing a speech that's largely about not winging it. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, you just heard I'm Anthony Benda from Cafe Myriad in Montreal. Uh, I've been there for six years. I've had the shop for about four. It's uh, been one of the best experiences of my life. Um, it's, uh, it's a shop that I own with Scott Rayo, and uh, the theme of my talk today is actually indeed about metrics and data, which grows off a lot about what we heard yesterday from Matt about growth and um, repeatability in, in the cafes. And at face value, it sounds really boring, maybe beyond boring. But uh, before, me, before I begin, let me give you a bit more context about me, myself and my shop uh, in Montreal. Uh, I grew up in Vancouver, we're in a very different specialty coffee world than exists today. Uh, the shop that I worked at was perhaps even further ahead than most, where that it weighed the doses of its espresso for its uh, batch brewing, which was the only way it had of delivering uh, coffee. So uh, at that point in my, in my career, I had very limited experience to measuring anything. And uh, even at that point, tasting, I wasn't really passionate about the taste of coffee, more as just the passion for service. Um, when I moved to Montreal and opened it with Scott, it was just a completely different experience for me, working with somebody that had a much more measured and much more calm approach to serving coffee. Uh, Myriad's very busy at its peak in the fall and spring, where I work close to university. They're serving upwards of 1,200 people a day, and uh, it's my job to make sure that every one of those customers is served the coffee that they're happy with. That, that is literally my job description, is quality control for 1,200 drinks every day which uh, maybe sounds daunting, but to me, it's, it's fantastic. It's a, it's a bit of a journey every day. Um, I'd also like to preface that I am by no means a numbers person at all. Like, simple arithmetic sounds nice to me. Um, I have a degree in creative writing from, uh, from Concordia University, uh, which at its best is hilarious uh, because I'm not a great creative writer, but it's, uh, it's a little less tragic because I'm, I'm pretty good at coffee. And, um, I find myself now uh, as one of the cruxes in a growing discussion about um, numbers and percentages and their place within, within our industry. And, and I couldn't be happier about that despite my predisposition to be against, I guess, anything numerical and then calculated. Um, I mean, the best thing that happened to me and Myriad is being involved with people like Scott Rayo and Vince Fidelli of, of BST and Extract Mojo, um, arming me with the mindset that I need and now, that I now value to approach my business and service in general in coffee. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about baseball, and I know this is the worst country to probably do that in. Uh, so bear with me just a little bit. It's, it's, just, uh, it's just a bit of a, another analogy before I get into the meat of my discussion. Um, I played baseball for a long time, for about 15 years, and um, 
I didn't have anything else to do with that sport except for just throwing a ball at a glove and rarely hitting a ball that was thrown to me. Um, as with most sports, uh, luck is a huge factor in baseball, and um, assembling a team that's a, that's a good baseball team takes a lot of care and, and, and basically being able to analyze different players, their strengths, and what they contribute to an overall whole. Um, this might be familiar to those of you who've seen Moneyball or read the book. It's a collection of statistics that uh, allows you to evaluate something that's a little bit more subjective or maybe impossible to evaluate by the naked eye. There's a, a struggle within baseball now between those old school people who just watch the game and evaluate people by saying, that guy looks pretty fast, he hits the ball pretty hard, he throws that ball a long way. And, and a newer um, community references the sabermetrics community who actually evaluate the, the results of different outcomes and the likelihoods that things will happen. Um, and there's a balance, but it's not very even at this point between these two communities. Um, and I find there the parallel can be drawn within, within coffee at this point. Uh, the discussion that I find myself perpetually involved in, uh, often because I insert myself into it, for better or for worse, uh, is a push and a pull between the arts, as it's referred to, and, and the science of coffee. I don't know if these are the two best words to describe the two different camps that people often find themselves in, uh, but it's generally how they're referred to. Uh, Matt Berger spoke yesterday um, and touched on a lot of these issues, but uh, he couldn't have provided a better lead-in for me. That data is not a bad thing. There's a 100% this idea has been accepted into our community now that data is all right. Um, and for instance, I can just do a quick experiment for anybody here and, and watching online that if you are involved in, in your shops in espresso preparation, I could say, what is your dry dose for a typical shot you're going to serve? And likely you'd have an answer. You have an idea in your head. It's between whatever and whatever number of grams. And I could go on further than that and say, like, what is your desired outcome for a, for a weighed, brewed shot in the same manner? And you'd have an idea. But if I were to ask you, having had those two pieces of data in mind, what exactly would the extraction percentage or the TBS percentage of that shot be? many people would have no idea. Uh, and that's not because that information is not accessible to us at this point. And uh, I'd like to explore why that is. Um, why, how, given how warmly they've taken to weighing um, products before and after, which is the bulk of the work, we're we still resisting that last 10% of work to get that invaluable piece of data. Um, so I'm going to be talking about these newer metrics today. Um, I'll be saying the words TBS percentage and extraction percentage a lot. I couldn't find a good substitution for them, so I apologize for that. Um, I'd like to talk about the data itself briefly and its applications. Uh, I'd like to talk about how best we go about recording this data and how to properly manage the equipment because I think that's a huge issue as well. And finally, just uh, kind of conclude by bringing up some benefits that people just don't understand are there and uh, that perhaps might uh, surprise a few people and, and maybe sway them uh, that way. Um, so I'm going to start by uh, really going back 10 years when I started in coffee again, it's been about a decade where nothing was being measured. And, and it was more or less, you had two people, perhaps the owner of the shop and the manager, who would taste coffee on any given day and said, this is good. This is good because I like it. And that's honestly not a bad way to go about it, uh, especially at that point. Um, the problem with that is when you grow past a certain staff member of two or four or six, and maybe even multiple cafes, um, you get uh, a lot lost in translation. It becomes a bit of a problem to communicate those outcomes and desirable outcomes to new staff and new managers. Um, I mean, that part of the coffee game hasn't really changed. We're still after serving the best possible cup of coffee to our customers. But what's changed is our ability to look at the game, so to speak, or the industry and how we, how we measure it. 
Um, the standard for specialty coffee at the retail level is set artificially low, I find. I mean, any of us are asked, if we could go into the average progressive, third wave, whatever you want to call it, cafe, and order a coffee, most of us would say we're not satisfied. It's an average experience. Um, and that's not okay. I mean, there's an opportunity now for supremely skilled baristas um, and coffee shop owners and managers to add to their repertoire of skills and be able to measure what they're doing. Uh, truthfully, preparing coffee is the, the, hard, is the hard part. Extracting espresso to desired uh, results, uh, extracting a filter coffee to the desired result, that's really hard. Measuring it is really easy, and it makes it even easier to repeat those results. Like, literally, the minutia requires attention to ex executing a good espresso, having a dose within 1.1 grams of a target, distributing consistently and efficiently, tamping level, extracting a brew mass within one gram of a target, and then maybe frothing milk to a desired texture and temperature, and then avoiding taking five milliliters and putting it on a lens? Like, man, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> there's, a, there's a similar but much smaller uh, resistance to weighing mass. Um, in the last couple of years instead of gauging by volume. And that happened, I guess, the last three or four years. Uh, it was too time-consuming, too science-y, would alienate home baristas. There, there was a lot of different arguments against. Um, speaking to some of my friends competing at the WBC down the way, I was told that everybody is now weighing their shots. Every single competitor has a scale, dials in their espresso by weight. Um, that's huge, given that last time I competed four years ago at the national level, nobody was really doing it. Um, that's a corner. Like we turned that corner. And I mean, that afforded a much more accurate and relevant discussion now between different professionals about espresso extraction and the parameters we can use to achieve the results that we want. And around the same time as, as this tiny revolution, uh, Vince Fidelli and VST apps were developing precision espresso baskets that I'm sure most of you are aware of or at least have heard of. Um, this eliminated another variable that at a point had been kind of insurmountable, the ability to be consistent among different group heads in a cafe, among different cafes in the same city, and even between cities like Montreal and Melbourne on different sides of the planet. So we can have relevant discussions about what we're doing with Espresso. Um, like using Extract Mojo software, it's possible to measure TBS and extraction percent of a shot that we're serving straight, in a cappuccino, in a latte, and all the above. Um, heretofore, that data had been useless because different baskets by the same manufacturer were different enough that we couldn't actually gather useful data. Uh, the TDS, or total dissolved solids, they refer to the brew strength as a percentage of a beverage in question, in our case, coffee. It implies that the drink is X percent uh, of dissolved solid matter, and these solubles lend the flavor descriptors you hear so passionately described in the WBC, in the Brewer's Cup, um, and in coffee shops everywhere. You know, the rich melon, the Meyer lemon, hand fruit characteristics. Uh, from the TDS percentage, assuming you've diligently tracked a brew mass and then a dry dose, you can actually develop, uh, you can work out what the extraction percentage of, like how much you've extracted from the dry product. In coffee, the max you can, percent, you can extract is about 35%, just as a, a reference point. And we all strive to get some portion thereof that we feel tastes best. Um, this refers to, this extraction percentage refers to the quantity of extraction throughout the beverage, and it does not refer to the quality of that extraction, but we'll get more into that later on. Uh, before I get back on track where I was headed with uh, regard to VST and espresso, both TDS and extraction percentage are gaining in popularity with brewed coffee and have established with more certainty various reference points for us um, as benchmarks in specialty coffee. Uh, it's not to say that the merit values are, are equitable with levels of, of, of subjective merit. So a number value doesn't mean something is good at all. It's really just a reference point for you to be able to repeat that result next time in a week, in a month, or train someone to do it for you in your shop. 
And uh, I mean, these numbers can be correlated with an individual's taste. I know exactly what I like to drink, which corresponds with what I like to serve in my shop or at the Brewer's Cup. And it just gives me an extra weapon in my arsenal to say, I will serve good coffee today. I'm going to start by tasting it. And if I don't like it, I have a reference point. I don't have to kind of start in the dark, throwing darts to find a way to adjust the coffee to a way that I think is going to taste better. Um, at Myriad, we have five different brew methods available every day from open to close. We do a batch brew. We have a clever dripper, siphon, a French press, and an Eva Solo. And it's a lot of brew methods to manage, um, especially like we do. Uh, we strive to serve them in one strength and one extraction, so people really are only experiencing the different brew methods and not different strengths of coffee. Um, every day, um, at least once a day, I'm measuring two or three of these methods to make sure that I'm achieving a consistent extraction. And uh, if I'm not, I mean, that tells me something's either gone wrong with the barista preparation or maybe our equipment or possibly the roast quality of the coffee itself. Um, and this is all information that I wouldn't have as easily if I didn't uh, have the background or at least the reference points down to take note of. Um, pardon me. Like suddenly, this, 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 the discussion suddenly evolves from this isn't tasting good to why isn't this tasting good, which is a very valuable question in a cafe when you're serving a lot of people. You want to be able to not just say, okay, this isn't good, but how to fix it and how to fix it quickly. Uh, like the simple one-word change in that, answer, in that question implies an answer, um, which you can often derive using TDS as a starting point. Um, having this data available doesn't make coffee any less fulfilling for me. And I think this is very important because this is uh, often what comes up is that people see there's going to be a loss of barista control or barista passion when you forfeit that, uh, I guess, quality control to numbers and, and more so automation. And I just I don't think that's the case. Like, being confident that a customer can walk into my cafe any time of day on any given week with whomever's on bar uh, and have a comparable beverage to what they had the last time they were there, even if it's different, but if it's comparable, that to me makes it much more fulfilling. That is the best part of my job, and that's what gives me the confidence to be here today to speak to you and not glued to my bar in Montreal. Um, Advanced Metrics has made evaluating ourselves and our coffee easier, even if at first it means we have to admit that we're not as good as we thought we were, which is a tough pill to swallow, but it's the best pill to swallow. It really is. Uh, with, with this in mind, let's get back to espresso. I've wandered a little bit. With, uh, as with filtered coffee, many baristas are on board with tracking dry dose and brew mass information. We kind of covered that a little bit earlier. Um, they go to the trouble of, of doing everything that I referenced, tearing out a port filter, weighing a dose, weighing the brew mass, and they stop. It's uh, nice because we have these discussions online now about uh, you know, this blend of espresso works at this dose and this yield, and this coffee is best at this dose and this brew mass. But it really doesn't mean much when you take into account um, different extraction values and water quality and travel times. There's a lot of more variables than we're acknowledging in those discussions. Um, and uh, with VST and the precision baskets, eliminating the manufacturing flaws that really prohibited us from making these discussions worthwhile in the past, we're now able to do group head to group head comparisons. Um, and if we're not taking the final piece of data, the TDS, we're really leaving a lot of, of uh, information on the table that can be really used between coffee professionals and in discussion forums like this to really better everyone's knowledge of what we're doing and what tastes good in certain drinks. Within our shops and everyday lives, brew parameters can suddenly carry actually real weight if a roaster included um, a desired strength and extraction percentage along with their dose and along with their temperature and along with their yield instructions. It's come a long way in the last few years where you do see certain roasters including you know, a ratio, a brew ratio as uh, part of their flavor descriptors, but I still think it's not quite where we want it to be. Um, when, all these, when the baskets were released by VST, I think in the last year or two years ago, 
um, it was really unanimous joy that they were met with. Everybody got really excited, and uh, no one could really stop talking about it. It was really the best thing to happen to Espresso for a long time. Finally, we have precision baskets, and we're all going to improve. And then a curious thing happened. Um, nothing. Discussion stopped. People stopped really referencing what they were doing. Said, oh, the grind has to be finer. And then it got kind of silent. Um, the question is, is why? Like suddenly, we have access to almost every specialty shop in the world using these, the WBC using these baskets. And we're not sharing information. We're not sharing uh, our experiences with these coffees, how it changed our milk drinks, how it changed our straight shot experiences. I periodically, uh, using Twitter, will just uh, throw out there, like, what are people doing for their espresso extraction uh, in terms of TDS and extraction? And I'm usually met with crickets. And uh, I don't think this is because people aren't willing to share. Everybody in coffee loves to share. But I think it's because people actually only very occasionally are measuring their espresso extractions. And that, to me, is a little perplexing. I mean, when I began working with Scott Rayo at Myriad, um, I think this is very important too, even if it's a little self-deprecating, I, I tried to fake my understanding of this data at first. I didn't want to seem like I was silly. I didn't want to seem naive. Uh, it was kind of like, oh yeah, 1.4%. That's, that's what I was hoping for too. That's great. Fantastic. <laughs> Jesus. Um, I didn't know what variables caused TDS to shift. I didn't know how to increase extraction. I didn't understand that you could have a wheat coffee that was over-extracted. This was alien to me at the time. And this is at a point in Canada where I was considered a professional, where I was considered somewhat of a leader in this industry. Um, so finally, I took, me, I took something that made me look really dumb. I asked a stupid question, and it felt pretty silly. Um, but as soon as I did that and realized, OK, I was embarrassed for 10 seconds, I started asking questions all the time. What does this mean? What does this do? Why does this have the effect that it did? And uh, tell me more about that. And sure, it might be a little bit shaking, I suppose, uh, of one's self-confidence to really realize that it's new. It's a new concept, and you don't know everything there is to know. And it can be a little mind-bending. Um, but don't let a fear of questions or fear of looking dumb prevent you from using all the tools in the toolbox to improve your coffee service and your business and put yourself in a position just to be better. Uh, segueing on, and if you're not prepared to ask the questions or put effort into learning how to use or measure this data, I'd say don't bother, which is a little bit counterintuitive given everything I've just railed on about. But uh, bad data is worse than no data. And that's something also that people, I believe, in our industry really need to latch onto. Um, I've yet to see two people use a refractometer the same way. Uh, a refractometer is something that measures refracted light through a liquid uh, in order to see or read the amount of dissolved solids present. And uh, like a grinder, like an espresso machine, or any coffee brewer, it's a piece of equipment that really demands a strict usage and the ability to be repeated cleanly and well. And uh, in the four, three or four years that I guess they've been around and more common, I've never found two people using it the same way. And often I don't find one person using it the same way from time to time. And uh, this, is, this is a pretty big problem. Um, I mean. We start our cafes in the morning. We spend time dialing in the grinder. We make sure espresso machines prepared the same way as it was the day prior. We dose coffee the same way. There's routine. And everything is calibrated to the same state it is every single day. Um, this is a skill, I think, that a lot of baristas have and a lot of coffee professionals have. And I think it's something they take for granted because they don't apply it to other facets of their life, but especially other facets of, of coffee preparation. Um, if any of those variables deviate, you know, through the course of a day, if the grind, if the flow rate of your espresso slows down, recalibrate the grind. If 
the temperature of your water boiler is off, you recalibrate the temperature boiler. We have to be able to do this when measuring as well, whether it's thermometers, scales, or refractometers. Um, another challenge that kind of gets in the way of, of, of using this data is a small sample size, which I think is something we're all guilty of on one level or another. It's, uh, it's often really tempting to measure uh, the weights, the temperature, the, the extraction of anything, of, a, of, a, of a espresso or of coffee, and to make a snap judgment, to say, oh, that is too weak, it's too cool, it's, you know, I underdose that, forget it, I'm starting over, I'm going to change everything. But it's just one sample. It's just one shot out of 1,000 for the day for some. You know, sometimes it's one out of 100. But even the latter is only 1%. And if you're going to change everything because of one exception, I mean, that's, that's a difficult and dangerous way to make a decision in a, in a busy coffee shop among many baristas. Um, I mean, as a reference point, sorry. When we, when we change the grind, we change the flow rate of espresso, and we change the grind, uh, we purge the ground to the grinder first, so as to make sure that the ungodly amount of coffee left behind is not still going to be used in the next shot. And then we pull not one, not two, but often three shots before we really are comfortable with the result of our change. It's the same thing. We're basically, just by doing that, eliminating the possibility for a small sample size. We're getting a little more data than we necessarily need just to make sure that we haven't overshot our outcome. And I mean, again, this is a skill that everyone takes for granted, but it's actually something that's very you know, part of the scientific method, and a method that's often rejected by our community. Um, I think the last thing I wanted to touch on in this section is just a brief summary um, of how different, changing, how different variables affect an outcome. I mean, we all know that. You, change, you make something hotter, you're going to change how it tastes. You underdose something, it'll taste different. Um, and even you know, once you've calibrated all the equipment, the scale, the thermometer, what have you, um, and you've collected enough samples to be confident it's not just a small sample size, it's not a deviation from what you're doing, um, and you know it's time for a change. Uh, the temptation here is to make many changes all at once. If you're getting something that's drastically under-extracted, you want to increase the temperature, and you want to uh, make the grind a lot finer, and, I don't know, stand with your feet further far apart and stir the other way. You can change everything at once. You're not going to understand what actually influenced the change you're after. And, Again, this is something that I see constantly in my own shop a lot when I'm training people just to the point where they're comfortable making changes. They'll change three things at the same time, which is just often a mute, mood exercise and it doesn't really, doesn't really result in anything useful at all, unfortunately. Like how else will you know what effect each change has on the effective variables if you're not doing just one at a time? And I know we're busy and I know the shops that we work in are often very, very busy as well, but trust me, the efficiency over the long run will save you so much time if you just focus on changing one thing instead of the whole. Um, I'd like to start wrapping up by pointing out uh, some of this, the more practical implications of using these measurements and metrics can have on a coffee shop. Um, I mean, when I started in coffee, I guess this is more common knowledge for everybody now, but the grinder is obviously one of the most important parts of any service in the store. And specifically, the grinder burrs are the most important part of that setup. And it's one thing. Um, to guess or have a certain number in mind of months or days like we used to do, just kind of put a little sticky on our grinders and say in 60 days or on May 25th, change the burrs. Now we don't really have to do that, which is great because when you buy 10 sets of grinder burrs, you've more than paid for another new grinder and it's a, it's a huge investment. Um, but, uh, Vulcan espresso machines, uh, sorry, Vulcan espresso grinders alike, um, there's been an outcry over their inconsistency, you know, especially new ones and um, over time. And it's possible that different sets of burrs do require different amounts of seasoning. 
But now it's easy to tell that just by measuring consistently the TDS and extraction numbers of the coffees you're brewing with these grinders. Um, new brewers generally produce fewer fines, and that's not uh, too speculative there. And they result in a narrower band of particle size in general, uh, which means that you can extract a cup of coffee to a higher extraction, make it stronger, without any of the resulting uh, over-extraction symptoms like bitterness or, or um, astringency, which I particularly hate. Um, New brewers degrade very, very quickly as well. So if they start up here, they kind of like take a nosedive before they level off for several months, which can be kind of consistent. And dialing in uh, a coffee with new brewers that haven't been seasoned properly can be a nightmare. But if you actually are able to track your uh, extraction percentage in CBS, you can see right away, almost immediately, that you know, from brew to brew, you've lost a significant portion of your strength. Your brewers aren't seasoned properly yet. You just need to spend a little bit more time putting some more coffee through them. Um, on the other hand, when brewers dull, they produce more fines that extract much more quickly, ultimately, ultimately over-extracting to produce bitterness and astringency at much lower levels of extraction. Um, and I think I can speak for almost everybody when I say a weak, over-extracted cup is pretty much the worst thing anyone can get in our industry. It's deplorable. Um, all right, that's kind of a, a last moment. I just want to make sure that I don't leave you with the fact that I don't believe refractometers and, and plotting graphs of percentages um, are going to replace the best baristas. Uh, I think they'll augment them, uh, increasing their skill level and awareness of what they're serving. I think many shy away from numbers as data because they mistakenly see them as a qualitative assessment. Uh, they're not. TDS and extraction percents are, often reflect a quantitative evaluation of your brewed beverage. They give you a number like a mass. So if a brewed coffee weighs 300 grams and uh, extraction percentage is 20%, all it, all it represents is an average um, of that drink. Um, there's no magic bullet number that, for lack of a better phrase, makes coffee taste good. The, the values represent the average extraction of all shapes and sizes of grind particles used for the brew. And it takes a great barista to understand the data and to find value correlative to coffee he or she wants to be proud to serve. Being the best at what we do, we can become better as a group by measuring values of variables we're currently leaving solely to subjective judgment. Uh, there's a wonderful irony to the idea of the, the rock star barista, which is one of my favorite terms in coffee because it's so true. But uh, rock stars can't actually read sheet music. And I think this is kind of important to think about. All of us can benefit from increased awareness. Um, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to be here today. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much. I, I think I've decided you and Matt just watched my presentation and did the anti-presentation to the <laughs> first Tampa tantrum I did. So um, we're going to have a great talk. I'm excited. We're, we're going to need to sit down, though, because it's going to be a long one. So by they, all means. They provided us with chairs. We should use them. Uh, it's, uh, WC, had, WC had to pay for these. For the uh, chairs? Yeah, yeah. We, we, had, we had to pay for them by the day. So Well, they're quite wonderful. Look at the money I'm wasting. Two empty chairs. <laughs> So, um, okay, so hit me now. This is, uh, no, no. I mean, let, I, I mean, let me quantify my kind of my presentation and why there's lots in common because I actually do believe very much in numbers. I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with them. Mm -hmm. But uh, kind of my presentation was like we need to focus on it as an industry, which I think is what you're saying. Yes. You know, and and my my beef was it that we focused on them too much with everybody else. Yes. And the consumer, which. I don't think they need to know about TDS. No, like, I agree. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Like, I think that, and in, in case it wasn't too clear. You, no, you were. You yeah. were very much, and that's why I wanted to kind of just say that I, I do agree with lots yeah. of it. But yeah. so it's like buildings. You know, you walk down the street, you don't see the foundations of these skyscrapers necessarily. You just see the beautiful windows and facades, and that's, 
that's how I feel about coffee. Like we're the foundation, and well, it's, uh, when my car breaks down, like the mechanic knows about that shit. Yeah. That's not my beef. Like, exactly. I don't need to know about that stuff. Exactly. Like he makes it better, and then I get a working car again. So, um, yeah, I kind of I wasn't texting while I was down there. I was writing loads of questions. I oh. have many, many questions. So, um. You were talking about in the store that you use the same brew strength for every brew method. That's we, we target the same brew strength, yes. Okay. So, like, do you not think that, like, for instance, when I'm brewing a Chemex, mm -hmm. I'll be trying to hit different numbers than I will with a French press. Right. Like, big time different numbers. Because, right. like, if I did the same with the Chemex, I would feel, like, as I do with the French press, I would be compromising the Chemex brew. Right. Because of that. I think, and I mean, I really hesitate to speculate on things, so like, take this with a bit of a grain of salt, but when you're shooting for a distinct number, especially one that's uh, TDS, it's an average number of uh, a total extraction. So it's not necessarily representative of um, this is the true level of extraction. And you have an immersion brew like a French press and uh, like a percolation brew like a Chemex, they're so different that the numbers aren't actually going to reflect a comparable direct comparison. Like, you might get a much more even extraction from the French press, so it can be higher without the same level of bitterness or astringency. Okay. Whereas with Chemex, if you shoot for that, um, I mean, especially depending on the method, you could end up over-extracting considerably a segment of that coffee while under-extracting the rest to get a, a, a similar number. So taste-wise, they'd be miles apart. Yeah. And I mean, it's really important to consider that. I mean, it's not just like, you know, taking down a number, not tasting anything, and saying, yes, this is what we're going to do. It's accommodating grind size, um, steep times, um, agitation, um, everything to make sure that you get. So you will change the recipe to benefit it. Like you won't change what you, what you, what you, you like your numbers you're aiming for, but you'll change like the times and to to compensate for that. Absolutely, or? I think that okay. the one thing that I won't change is my my target um, brew strength yep. or extraction level, and I will accommodate almost everything to get to where I want to be, whether it be steep time. Uh, Grind particle size, equipment even. I mean, God knows how many grinders we've gone through a myriad. Well, I do, but 12. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, like, where do you think this goes? Like, for me, Vince coming along with the uh, Mojo, like, changed. It came at the time where the Uber came out as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember the Uber changing the way that I brewed, brewed coffee because right. it made me use scales, it mm -hmm. made me use time mm -hmm. because they were built in. Like, there were so many times I would brew a Chemex and go, oh, where's my scales? Ah, screw this, I'll just, it'll be good, you know? And, right. and, and I'd come up with something that sometimes would be good, most of the time would be bad, but would always be different. Right. Yeah, and you know, this is in a roastery. I'm not working in a coffee shop. No, so, no, I hear, yeah. but I think it's pretty common, uh, it's a pretty common experience. I guess. So, it's not so the I'm Uber doing. made me watch variables and mm. then the mojo came out and I just went oh my god like mm. my head can't cope with this yeah and it was just like wow it changed and now I think we're all comfortable with those things we we like as you said we weigh brew ratios we weigh our shots you know that's that's what we do at the top level and that's and that's I don't think people realize like how big of a shift that's been in the last Huge. three years like it's Something we all take for granted now, and when new baristas start training, it's something they're learned instantly. But three years ago, you said to anybody, "What's brew yield?" They'd look at you as if you'd gone crazy. They wouldn't even yeah. think to consider why that's important. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, my question: Where this is going is, what's next? What are we going to measure next? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I, I really think we're still leaps away from even grasping what we have in front of us right now. I don't think that uh, enough people in coffee 
truly appreciate what Vince Fidelli has done or provided us with in terms of these tools, I don't think they're used nearly often enough. I think no. that they're used in some roasteries. I mean, I definitely, I know there's still some roasters that don't own the software at all. Um, <laughs> and I think they're used in a lot of uh, cafes like mine, which are like, you know, one cafe, but they, you know, not say five or six, would actually would be most beneficial to keeping a large uh, scale group of baristas, say, like, you know, more than 50, more calibrated. So I think we've really just scratched the surface of this, and to, to wonder what's next for me would be to hope that this continues to evolve to a point where um, I can walk into a store uh, or anywhere you know that say has a reputation of being a good coffee shop, and receiving something that has had the, the kind of care go into it, where someone in that shop knows what the target was for a strength, how, how much they've extracted, and um, to be able to judge that through taste in the end to say okay. This isn't working for us anymore. What's what's wrong? You know, but far too often we're just paying for coffee that's not good enough, and I think I this can change that. So, um, while on the subject of that brew recipe and the brew ratio that you you know you want to repeat, I, I'm interested in this one because, as a roaster, I get asked a lot for brew recipes, right? And I, and I pretty much nigh on refuse to give them, right? Because they're mine. Sure. Like they might, but what I do, yeah. I mean, whose responsibility do you think it is? Do you think it's the roaster's responsibility to tell you as a shop owner what you should achieve? Not at all. Or is that the shop's job to do that and then maybe feed that back to the roaster so they can see what their customers are doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think both are fine. I know like a lot of roasters volunteer that information, I think. Too freely. Too freely, but because, I think... Like, and, and, and the reason I don't do it as well is we deal with a lot of home users. Right. Who, if I say something, it's like I've chipped it into stone mm -hmm. and it's become the gospel according to Steve Layton. Sure. And, and I must follow this. And I, I think that's something to be like, wary of and avoided. Uh, I mean, i got to step carefully. I don't work for a roaster. I never have. And, uh, but I know that the roasters that do volunteer that information do so with you know, good intentions and the best intentions. And it's not because they're insecure about their product being misused. Um, and then also, I really agree with your side of it as well, saying that, like, really, there's too many other variables at, at play. There's, you know, I mean, I get, I get my coffee shipped across the continent. So, you know, is my coffee going to behave the same way um, as it will on the west coast of Canada or the States instead of the east, uh, eastern part? I mean, these are all things that, you know, affect something maybe even more than um, a dry dose and a, and a brew mass and, and water temperature. So I think that there's a danger in giving those. but. Um, my idea, or I guess my hope, is that as we're able to kind of calibrate and track these new levels or amounts of information, if Roaster decided to give that parameters, give everything you can possibly do just to make sure that, you know, if you're trying to be on the same page, you know, get on the same page. Don't be within, you know, the book. Just... Yeah, no, no, I mean, for sure. I mean, like, if somebody comes to me and says, Steve, what, what should I do with this? Like, look, this is where I start. So I'm starting with, you know, 18 yeah. gram dose, 27 yield, you know, and, and kind of giving them the information. But I, I, I kind of, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, 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 I've seen, um, and this isn't James's fault at all, but James Hoffman, who was just up here earlier, was like, if he says something, it, it becomes the law. Like, I, I got told by my customers that I couldn't, you couldn't serve an espresso with Kremer anymore three years ago when he, like, he said those things. And like, he never said that. No. But it's just really dangerous when you give these, like, such defined, yeah. tight parameters. Um, but, yeah, I agree, it's important to be on that same page. And I'm sure there's, I mean, you probably experienced this where you do give somebody loose instructions and they say, well, that tasted terrible. You don't know what you're talking about. And you said, 
well, we could sit down and have a six-hour conversation about it if you really wanted to, but, you know, I got coffee to roast. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's the other thing, is you said about um, people being scared to, you know, like, give it, like, or not giving out their brew recipes or, or, or whatever. Like, when I see people like yourself on Twitter go, so what are you rooming? I go, I'm not talking to you. You scare me too much. <laughs> and that's because, fine, yeah. Yeah, because you know what? I've seen what Scott does to people. <laughs> uh, he barks louder than his bite. Really. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, but I'm scared of him. I'm like, I, ne I never, ever want to get on the wrong side of Scott Rare. And Vince, I've actually done that a couple of times. And geez, he, he's teared me new ones. He's, oh, but yeah. it, like, when you're dealing with people that are so, uh, so clever with these things, and so like, try telling Vince he's wrong. Like, it, yeah, I tried it once. We spent six hours, and at the end I agreed I was wrong. And, uh, <laughs> I, think, I think I know exactly what you mean, but I mean, maybe I'm a masochist, and I, I really enjoy being held to standards that I can't achieve yeah. um, because they drive me to take those tiny little steps that I can do to get a little bit better and to just to learn them a little bit more. So and but how do we get to the point where we can be more like more open about these things and kind of like and, and share them? I mean, what what do we need to do? I mean, that's hard. It's, it's a fight for me to, I mean, really almost every day that I, I work with Scott or that I talk to, to Vince Fidelli or read something that Andy Schechter wrote, I realize how absolutely insignificant I am in this industry and how, how long and how much harder I have to work and how much energy I have to have to compete um, at a high level for a long time. And I mean, for me, to answer that question, I just have to say, I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with being 70% of my potential all the time yeah. because as you learn more, the potential gets higher. And it's, you know, I kind of, I, you see, I mean, I like, like Scott's book, for instance, when that first came out, mm -hmm. I kind of read it and went, I don't agree with most of that. Sure. And I still don't. And Do you know what? But he made me think about it. He made mm -hmm. me stop. And the other bits that I do agree with, he actually changed because I wasn't doing it that way, mm -hmm. you know, because, and I was like, okay, this is really, you know, super challenging. And, and it's, um, I, I, I envy you working in that environment because it, it must be every day. It's, it's the most nourishing environment yeah. for somebody who wants to learn about coffee that they could possibly be in. But you also have to be able to check everything you think about you know about coffee at the door. Yeah. 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 And you're right. I mean, often, I mean, even through the course of the day, I, I will learn something that's wrong and almost come full circle to realize that, you know, it might have been a fool's errand to spend all that time to learn something that's not ultimately true. But I learned something in the process, you know, and then that's just as valuable to making a step forward as making, you know, a step to the side with more information to go forward with, maybe. For sure, for sure. So, VST baskets, mm -hmm. you kind of touched on that a little bit in, in, in there. And, and, and for me, when they first came out, uh, I was met, I, there was a great deal of skepticism to start off with mm -hmm. because anything that's new, I want to, I, I have to see some evidence that, that there's a problem there. And I, and I spoke to Vince about it, and mm -hmm. by the end of it, I was like, Jesus is a big problem. Of course. And like n n most baskets are at best awful uh, and at worst unusable. Like, and Vince changed that. Yes. But what we've also, I mean, what I've also had to do with the VST baskets is change the way that I dose, change mm -hmm. the, my recipes, change the way that I've been doing all sorts of things because um, like, it, it was a big thing. What if you had a magic wand, mm -hmm. like, uh, and Vince did that with the baskets and, and it made them a lot better? If you had a magic wand and could change something else to do with espresso, what would be the next thing that you would want somebody to put attention on and and, and really look at? Um, 
That's interesting. There's, I mean, I'll tell you my thoughts so you can actually kind of think about sure. what you would But for me, like, shower screens mm -hmm. have been shower screens forever. Right. And I'm like, there seems to be quite a bit of variation. When you get a machine and take it off and look at what you've got there, you've got some real differences in, in, in manufacture style and in the, the actual way that they are. Mm -hmm. So that, for me, is something that, like, I keep looking at going, like, that screw, why is that screw there? Like, we could make that better, couldn't we? Yeah. Just like they did with the Uber grinder when they took the, the screws out of the burr set, made the magnetic. Well, there, there, are, screwless, there are screwless screens, right? Like, that's, we have one of the um, cases, we have a triplet in a store, and that was the first thing that I kind of saw. I was like, screwless machine? Like, screwless screens? Oh, my God, that's, that's It genius. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, I honestly, like, I don't have something comparable to offer in that sense. Like, I, for me, I need, I need to understand more about water. One of my questions. Okay. And I need to understand more about pressure uh, in yeah. terms of espresso extraction. And I believe that my answer would stem from one of those two um, parts, but I, I don't know enough yet no. to really say what I would want to change or how I would want to measure or how to apply that knowledge to improve uh, coffee service. I mean, the whole pressure thing for me, I kind of, I, 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 I agree I've looked at and I don't, um, I don't know a lot about it. What I have seen and what I have tasted I'm not spending any energy on it at the moment. And I'm, I'm, I'm an importer of the UK importer of the Slayer, which is, uh, you know, a pressure profiling machine, all the rest. And I just like, mm -hmm. I, I used it as an espresso machine, not right. as a pressure profiling espresso machine. Because for me, I don't think, it hasn't shown me enough yet. There's plenty of other things for me to concentrate on. There's just something more, that doesn't seem to be. There's already too many variables for us to worry about. We should be more eliminating variables, not adding new ones yet, I think. So. So, which leads me on to the next one where you, uh, we, we, I don't know if you heard uh, James and Nick earlier, we were talking about water mm -hmm. and you mentioned water. Yeah. And we were saying, like, so, like, what do we need to do? Like, what, what, what would you think we would, should be looking at with water? I mean, is reverse osmosis the answer? Is just filtration? Is making sure that we have uh, certain uh, makeups of water? What, what do you think? I think. I think that every city, let alone country, I mean, everything is so different, right? Like, I mean, I think I caught that part of the conversation, right? I know Nick in California has really, really soft water, and James uh, called his water diabolical, which I think is yeah. more yeah. comparable to mine in Montreal. Um, I think that what people have to do in coffee is be really aware of their water at all times. Um, in Montreal, we have a lot of snow through the winter, and it's, a, it's not a clean city. So at the end of April, when the snow melts, um, regardless of how the city filters its water or whatnot, we see a spike, a massive spike in our TBS. And I almost have to change the filters on our, on our filtration system. And it, I didn't realize that our first year. You know, it, so we, that, means, that means for me, looking back, that in our first year, we served coffee that was completely different with inferior water for probably a good two months before I even bothered to measure it again. So, I mean, I think that... How often would you prescribe to check your water? Uh, we do it every week at Myriad. Okay. You know, and I think even the, I even think that's not enough. Like, uh, depending on the type of filtration system people have, um, obviously this would differ, but I would I'd say check it as often as you check, you know, just about everything else in your shop. If you're, gonna, if you're comfortable just making sure your coffee tastes good once a week, test the water once a week. You know, if it's something you do every day, test it every day. It doesn't taste longer, take longer than, you know, 30 seconds to take a quick TBS and a, and a um, pH reading of the water. And just 
if you don't know what to do with it, just write it down and log it, you know, and then eventually you can bring it to somebody who does have an idea of what to do with it and uh, they can kind of advise you one way or the other if you're comfortable with them. So. I mean, we, 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 we try with a lot of our customers, like logging is everything. So, you know, we're getting them to log like the, the, the readings on their, their, what, their softeners, we're getting them to jot down their grind, like, you know, what, what the, like just kind of see things moving. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw John Gordon's presentation from Tampa Tantrum Live in Dublin. He talked a lot about like machine maintenance and how yes. logging is really important. And I think just like water is part of the machine, yeah. you know, it's... I definitely like, I would, don't advocate just like amassing data for the sake of amassing data, but when you don't fully understand something, you know, write down everything you can and then, you know, either research it, take it to somebody who does know a lot about it, or um, just like really wait for someone to take the next step. Because like I said earlier, like, there's so many things that I don't understand at face value. and that I finally I'm like really comfortable saying that you know there's maybe half of things in coffee that I don't have a firm of a grasp on as I would like, but um, I know when I face with a question exactly what to write down or what to take note of so that I can learn about that you know in an hour or the next day in a week whatever. So you do know this is just for me to learn you lot. I don't care about like <laughs> this is just for me. To, this is my one-on-one -on -one session with you that's for free. So it's it's great. Yeah, I've got one pleasure. question and then we'll, we'll see if there's any uh, online questions and, and audience questions. Shoot. But um, you talked about grinder seasoning, and I think this is probably the only thing we're going to disagree on today. Sure. So that's a good thing. We've yeah. done well, like because I'm I'm normally grumpy and not, and, like, <laughs> and, and, and want to be opposite. But um, you talked about grinder seasoning, and how much coffee do you think you need to use to to season a grinder? And like, how much impact is? For me, I think we're solving a problem. I don't think we're solving a problem by putting coffee through, first of all. Um, and also, like, this is a manufacturer's issue. We shouldn't be doing this stuff. Like, we should get birds that come ready, ready to use. But like, I don't see how coffee can make a difference to the birds with, say, 30 kilos or 60 kilos. Like, and then, then how much coffee do you put through? I think it depends on the grinder, for sure. Like, um, obviously, different grinders have massively different size birds yeah. uh, and types of birds. Um, it's funny because I'm going to actually probably agree with half of what you said, or, or at least we're going we're to come to an understanding, I think. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely come to a compromise because yeah. you'll set Scott or Vince on me and I'm scared. No, not at all. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I really, I think since we've opened, we've used six different makes of four different brands of grinders uh, as a, not espresso grinder, as, as a bulk grinder or, or a filter grinder. And... Um, what we've settled on for the last year or so have been the Malconig EKs. And um, I can say with just about certainty that for us in Montreal with those grinders, when they come, I need to put 30 pounds of coffee through them on the finest setting. Um, and if I don't do that, it's not like they don't grind coffee. It's not like they don't produce something that's usable. It's just that um, they wear initially so quickly that you know if I brew 10 coffees after the first 10 coffees, they'll be massively different cups just because they're, they're changing the way they grind the coffee that, that quickly. After 30 pounds, I settle into a very uh, predictable, familiar pattern where I don't have to worry about a massive fluctuation from cup to cup, you know, which might be a bit of an exaggeration, but like from, from throughout the day. And, I, and then I just plug and play. You know, it's, it's fine after that. With uh, espresso grinders, with rovers, I mean, I've had wildly different results than just about everybody that I've seen on Twitter um, decrying how much coffee I have to put through it. And I have changed rubber burrs in the morning before service to come in the bar and gone with it. And sure, there's at first 
obviously a different uh, difference in flow rate from your old brewers. That makes a lot of sense. Yep, you, um, you'd, you'd hope. You'd hope, exactly. But uh, I find that the, at least at Myriad, the results of a new espresso grinder, a new rover versus, or burrs, pardon me, versus new burrs for our EK have not been comparable. There's no magic number of coffee. And, and by no means we're putting through 100 pounds through an espresso grinder before we're happy using it. So. Because that's, I mean, it's pretty tough metal in there. And like to put some coffee yeah. through, I, I can see the reason to put it through to like, you've got some food grease in there and you're going to have like sharp edges on the burrs that I don't want bits of metal in my extraction. Yeah, I can't, I can't speak to why it works or, or yeah, yeah. why it's important. Um, but I think the, going back to the last thing you, you asked me earlier about manufacturers sending us burrs that are ready to use, I, I, I agree with you in principle, but I also like to get something that I know where I start with every time. Like I okay. wanted to get something brand new and say, I need to put X number of grounds through or no coffee through here and, and go. Otherwise, but the paranoid side of me says, well, how much is, are these used burrs? They just pick this up from their other account? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, think, I think the difference between used and like, you know, sharp yeah. edges and uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. To but be facetious yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I mean, the interesting part, you, you mentioned about the Uber grinder a little bit in there, didn't you? And you're saying about the, um, the window of the movement. Did I miss the, did mishear that I part? Didn't, I didn't talk about the okay. Uber. I actually have only used the Uber yesterday. Okay. For, yeah, a couple of days ago for a Brewers Cup. Yeah, and I, yeah. I found that, like, really tough when I first moved to this smaller window of variants. So, you, you know, your right. fonts are far more, far decreased. Uh, they're still there, of course, but you have a, a, a decrease from what I was using. I was using one of the Malkernics before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found it really tough in my brewing. It, like, completely changed. I, I, I spent six weeks brewing awful coffee. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I don't fully understand uh, the Uber grinder, to be honest. So I can't speak too much to it. But um, only to say, that they, I guess the similar dipping model before it was the Uber. For sure. Yeah. No. I mean, it comes in yeah. red. That was the the red first grinder we had, part. right? Yeah. It's how far you stand, you know. Yeah. But, but no, they've, uh, I mean, the, the, the basic changes are the magnetic burrs without the screw holes, and uh, the burr set has been like their handcrafted burrs. So right. they're slightly different burrs in there to minimise uh, kind of the, the fines part. Mm -hmm. So anyway, enough of us chatting. We should see whether there's any questions. Oh, hey! We have questions. Good. What's your, uh, what's your name? Hi, Anthony. <laughs> um, this is a question, because uh, because you take so much data from your espresso bar and you notice extraction percentages and things, um, for everyone who's watching, what is the usual time when you would say, okay, the burrs are bad because you've got down to a certain extraction percentage. All right, we're switching the burrs out. We can't do this anymore. It's not a certain number. It would be like a deviation from my expected number. So when we have the inability to reach a certain level of extraction, um, and after thoroughly kind of exhausting a potential reasons why that is, that's when I'd say, all right, let's change the burrs and see if we can get back up to where we were comfortable to be before. And usually it's, it's that easy, you know? Thank you, Matt. Any, any, other, que yeah. oh, any other questions? Oh, cool. Uh, hi, I guess my question is for both of you. Uh, you said you don't like the, the profiling on Strata, the uh, pressure prof profiles. I think you said, I think mm, neither one of us really. It's, it's, yeah. not, not, that I, I, not that I don't like it, that it, it just you're, it doesn't. You're not it, 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 at this moment. Pressure profiling for me has never improved a cup of coffee 
that I've had at a, a, on a, a non-profiling machine. I've never had a better espresso. It's different, but it's never better. It's different. I think, okay. I think that's a pretty common response that I've heard a lot from people in, in coffee is that they've never had a better cup. Um, and I mentioned this really briefly earlier, but you know, there are so many variables in espresso that we have not mastered, that we have not We're, we're not quite ready to yeah. start like, putting stickers on the car because yeah. it's got no wheels on it. You know? I mean, we should really put the wheels on, then we can put fancy stickers. To be comparable, it'd be almost like asking a barista to juggle while they're doing a shot. It's adding that much more of a concern to something that's already a very... They liked our answer so much. <laughs> anyway, I think at some point, I think pressure will be examined much more closely than it's being examined right now, and we'll see um, machines that take advantage of that in a much more controlled way than saying, okay, baristas, here's your paddle, go crazy, you know? So, yeah. Sound answer. Well, let's try again, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess so. I believe that uh, even uh, pour over methods are use the same way as Strada is. Or not the same way, but if you realize that Hario V60 is something like it, you can use your own profile of the temperature, of the pressure to the, to the coffee, of the extraction of the water that is extracting through the coffee. Well, I, th I, I think there are far more variables in espresso, though. There's, and it's far more magnified than in, 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 in a, brewed, yeah. a brewed kind of coffee. And I, I mean, I just say that in the same token, I don't think that very many baristas brew V60s well for that same reason. I think that there's too many variables that uh, they don't control very well, and they brew without paying attention to temperature, without paying attention to necessarily um, being repeatable, and it results in a cup that's very undesirable for me. Like, it's not something we serve at our store either, so. Cool. Okay. Yeah. One other one. Oh. Come in. There we go. Uh, thank you for the interesting presentation. Oh, thank you for listening. And uh, I have a question regarding coffee freshness. I don't know what is your routine in the coffee shop. How you progress with each day? The coffee uh, gets uh, changes its characteristics uh, because uh, when you measure each day, the TDS changes, and uh, you have to adjust uh, either for the volume of the coffee or the grind. So how do you change, what uh, changes do you prefer to make to achieve the same uh, extraction yield, TDS, and so on, as the coffee changes uh, from day to day? Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, I mean, hopefully, our goal is that the TDS doesn't change, right? But obviously, like you mentioned, there are factors that influence that, including like the grinder age, uh, water quality, uh, the age of the roasted coffee. Um, so I'd say like we, you know, if you measure two or three different copies and realize there's consistently an under extraction or an over extraction or some deviation that we want to fix, you know, often the first thing we look at is, you know, are we doing something different than we did yesterday, which is a little bit of a subjective analysis. Um, and then we'll just break it down piece by piece as best we can. So we'll look at the grind, you know, we'll say, okay, we'll go perhaps a little coarser, you know, if we want to influence it that way. Maybe we'll change, you know, if it's the batch brewer, we'll change the um, brew time. You know, we'll add 30 seconds, we'll take away 30 seconds. If it's a siphon, maybe we'll um, agitate a little less at the end or, or through, through the middle. Like, it's really not really a prescribed answer to that question. It's more of 
following the same method every day to get the achieved results or the desired results. Um, and at some point in that method, you should find a way to calibrate yourself to where you were yesterday or to a point that you're happy with the taste of the coffee to serve it. Hopefully. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. So I think we've, uh, we've questioned you enough. It was a pleasure. Um, now listen, thank you very much. Please, a round of applause for Anthony Bender. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure.